you don't have a Bible with you, there are some in the back, um, so you can go and head over. Just to make sure that what I am speaking is from Scripture and not my own words. But as we do that, why don't we bow our heads and pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your son. We thank you that he emptied himself, humbled himself to be with us, to be God Emmanuel with us. And we pray that in this Christmas season, that we'll always have that Jesus in our minds, that it won't be about um, shoppings or even with being with family and warm and fuzzy feelings, but Lord, that we'll have you who have emptied himself um, to come down amongst us We pray that that will be the heart of all of our Christmas this season. And we pray that you'll remind us through your word what it means, what that means. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Isaiah chapter 9. We have many different ideas about the Bible. Some people, to some people it's a rule book. It's a list of do's and don'ts. For others, it's a history book, a record of what God has done in the past with us, with his people. And I've heard the Bible described as a rescue story. And it is a rescue story, and I think that's closer to the, to the truth. But the best way, I think, of describing the Bible, or what the story of the Bible is about, I think is a love story. God didn't just create us. God created us to be loved by him. God created us to be objects of his love. He created us to relish in it and to delight in it and to glorify him by enjoying his great love for all of us. And the Bible really is the story of the humankind created, lost, and God's perpetual pursuit of humankind until it is found and we're reunited with him. So, as I prayed about uh, through this passage, over this passage, and reflected over it, I've come to the conclusion that really the final sentence of our reading is the main point of this passage. Isaiah chapter 9, 7. That final sentence, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. We're not united to the holy God because we gradually become holier in the future or more lovable. It doesn't happen because we're clever enough and we find a solution to the problems that we have created for ourselves. It takes place because of the zeal of the Almighty God, because of the the intense desire for God to be with us to accomplish this salvation. It is the zeal of the Lord that accomplishes this. And even in this passage, it is hinted, isn't there? Verse 4, Isaiah says, For in the days of Midian, Midian's defeat, God shattered the yoke that burdened them, the bar across their shoulders, and the rod of their, their oppressors. The defeat of Midian in Judges 6 through 8 happens because of the zeal of the Lord, because of the power of the Lord, because of the love of the Lord. Remember, God chose um, well, Israel chose 32,000 soldiers. And God says, okay, then um, it was reduced to 22,000 and then later to 300. Just to make sure, God wanted to make sure that we know that this salvation, that salvation was going to be accomplished 
not by our power and strength and cleverness, but it was going to be accomplished by God's power, God's great power and zeal. It's the zeal of the Lord Almighty who accomplished this ad. And zeal in Hebrew, I had to look, to look it up. My Hebrew isn't very good. Um, but when I looked it up, it said that it's intense desire, ardent, flaming love. And it is that ever-flaming love that is behind this story of Isaiah 9, Isaiah overall, and also the entire book of the Bible. And the Bible records the story of God who is driven by this intense desire, ardent, flaming love for us to take us to himself at all cost. And the closest thing that I could think of as I was thinking about this, what, what does this zeal mean, was what I saw in my aunt when I was young. So when I was little in Korea, we went to a beach called Haeunde. I lived in Busan. Um, Haeunde is the beach there. And it's really, really crowded. I don't know what the beaches are like here, but there's really no place to swim. You wade in the water a bit because it's just hundreds of thousands of people come every summer to, uh, to, to, to the beach. And it's packed. And as you can imagine, it's hard to walk through the crowds as well. But... My aunt and my cousins and our family, um, we were at the beach. But at one point, the, my cousin, who was age eight or nine, strayed off somewhere, and we couldn't find him. And that was when I saw something that resembles, I think, this zeal, this intense desire and ardent love. I saw it in my aunt. You know, she started just screaming out his name. I mean, social conventions or embarrassment just went out of the window. It didn't factor in. She was going to find Jinu, my cousin. It was, he was, he was her son. He was, he was her boy. And he was lost. And she was his mother. And so she was going to find him. Um, and she was going to do whatever it takes to find him. And that's the zeal of God's love for us. And the story of the Bible is God trying to find us, God's rescue plan. This is the love story. And this is the Christmas. This is the reason behind Christmas, isn't it? God humbled himself. And when I say humbled, actually, that, that's euphemism for what, what, what has happened. God humiliated himself, disrobing his garments of power. Might, glory, splendor, divinity. And 2,000 years ago, he took on the flesh and blood, bones, fragile child. He became a baby. He became a person who was completely dependent upon other people's, other people's care. He was born naked, and he also died naked. The Bible indeed is a love story. It's about that zeal and that ardent love of God trying to find all of us. But if you're thinking to yourself, well, we can get that part of the Bible in, in many, many different passages. Why Isaiah? What is this? What's the big deal about Isaiah 9 that we keep on reading this every, um, every Christmas? 
On one level, Isaiah 9 is spoken at a very, very difficult time, a ninth century of Israel, um, to his contemporaries. Um, eighth century, sorry. And this bit of the prophecy starts in the, uh, um, in the, at the time of King Ahaz, um, as we see in chapter 7, 1, when King Ahaz was the king of Judah. And Ahaz was a terrible king. He offered sacrifices to idols. He actually took one of his own sons and sacrificed him. He also gave away temple treasures. He went into the temple, took out the temple treasures, and gave it to the Assyrians, hoping that he would get that alliance. So the country was suffering terribly. And as we read in verse 1, there, there is this gloom and darkness over the land of Naphtali and Zebulun, the region loosely called Galilee in the northern part of Israel. They were taken over by the Assyrians. And the whole country is wondering whether it will survive. And in those gloomy days, Isaiah brings this news. He says that they have seen a great light in verse 2. In the land of deep darkness, the light has dawned. No longer there is humiliation in this country. The country will grow even, lo- uh, even larger, he says in verse 3. And the joy will increase. And there will be time of dividing plunders among themselves. And as in the Mid- days of Midian's defeat, he will, God will bring humiliation to the enemies. And the weapons will be used as fuel. And the Messiah will come. And look what's promised in verse 7. Verse 7. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He'll be the greatest king that the Israel has ever known, David. He'll est- establish kingdom with justice and righteousness forever. And it's likely that this prophecy was given at the birth of King Hezekiah, the son of Unlike his father, Hezekiah was one of Israel's greatest kings. Second King 18.5 says, Hezekiah trusted the Lord and God, uh, 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 sorry, God trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. And there was no one like him amongst, uh, among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. And Hezekiah does fit the prophecy in many ways. Um, he brought the momentary peace. He's, I don't know if you know, remember the story when King Sennacherib of uh, Assyria came and laid a siege over Israel, over Jerusalem. He held steadfast, and God then sent um, the, the, God's angel to put to death 180,000 people of uh, 185,000 Assyrians in the camp, and they had to retreat and go back to, to Assyria. In that darkest hour of Israel's history, Hezekiah led the nation into victory, not because he was an ingenious leader or a general, but because he trusted God. Lord's zeal accomplished that salvation. So on one level, that is the prophecy. The biblical prophecies have three layers. Um, the first is sort of the historical layer, and then it looks forward to Jesus' coming. We know that this prophecy just can't be about Hezekiah because um, a name given to this child does not fit Hezekiah, no matter how great of a king he was. And we know this name, these names well, don't we? In verse 6, 
He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And it's true that in the ancient world, the kings were equated with gods quite often, but not Israel. Even if they had the names just too exalted, Mighty God, this isn't a designation for a mortal man. Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And in verse 7, he says that God will establish his kingdom forever. And of course, Hezekiah's reign ends. And soon after his reign, Israel is taken over by the Assyrians and then the Babylonians and then the Greeks and then uh, and the Romans. The prophecy can't just be about Hezekiah. It's about Jesus. And so the darkness in verse 2, isn't just in the darkness of a national disaster. It's about the gloom and the curse that has set over this world as well. The darkness of inequality, injustice, depravity of all sorts, lack of peace, financial woes, the cloud of sin that hangs over our lives, the toxic curse of death that pervades every aspect of this world. And this prophecy is about that great light, the sun of righteousness. The light spoken of in Revelations 21, 22, 23. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives light. The lamp, the lamb, its lamp. The nation will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. It is about that light. It is about Christ. It is about light that will shine forever. It will be a light that will make all other lights unnecessary, redundant. It is about that light. It is about Christ coming upon this earth to establish his kingdom of righteousness and peace forever. But as we think about this, Christmas might actually be a difficult time for you. I have a friend whose mother just passed away, and it's his first Christmas spending without his mom. I know a person whose business is going too well, not sure if he could continue to operate. Some of you here are having relationship problems of various kinds between husband and wife, between, wife, uh, between parents and kids boyfriends and girlfriends, colleagues. There are those of you who just have made bad choices in the past and are struggling with the consequences. And past, unfortunately, cannot be undone. Some are struggling with depression. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the lands of deep darkness, light has dawned. For unto us a child is given. The Son is given. Christ came to give us this light. Peace that's beyond our power to feel even. To increase our joy, to give us wholeness. Life as it was meant to be. God sent His Son. But we must promise and we must remember that this is a sign. It's a great sign. It's God becoming a human being. It's a great sign, but it's nonetheless a sign. 
It's not the full fulfillment of things to come, the promises that, that, that's made. And once again, if you think about the original audience here, even for them, imagine what they have heard uh, when Isaiah said this. When the greatest empires of the world was breathing down on their neck, they're about to, their survival was in question. And Isaiah says, don't worry, I've heard that there is a woman who's pregnant. And the baby is born. And that is the mystery of God's timing. When they need a solution, right then, God sent the baby. When they needed answers right away, God sent the baby who can't speak yet. When they needed to do something right away, God sent the baby who's completely dependent upon other people's doing. And in a similar way, you might think, what does this Christmas have to do with me? Not just Christmas. What does Jesus have to do with me for my life right now? But it is a reminder, isn't it? But the baby was conceived. If you flip to chapter 7, 14, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with a child, and he'll, he'll be called Emmanuel. The baby was born according to God's plan in his own timing to bring us salvation that we didn't even know that we needed. And we must remember that that baby was born 2,000 years ago. We might not understand that timing. We might not even understand what this all has to do with me right now. But God became becoming a man shows that God cares for this world. God loves for each one of us. That God is not only that, God is at work in this world. 2,000 years ago, God became a baby. But even after Jesus' birth, his life and death, even after his resurrection, the world isn't full of light yet, the joy yet, peace yet. The fullness of kingdom has not come quite yet. And there are many of you who need a sign right now because life is tough and you want to hear God's voice. Well, that is the sign. 2,000 years ago, God entered human history. And his cry was heard only by his parents and a few shepherds. It wasn't much, but that was a sign. That baby came to bear our sins for the whole world. That baby came to bring God's kingdom to this whole world. God is here. God is at work even though his timing and his plans be up, might be beyond our understanding. To us, a child is born, and to us, a son is given. And in time, when Jesus does come back in full glory, there will be no end, no end to the greatness of his government and peace. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty that burning, flaming love that God has for each one of us will accomplish that, that salvation. So for now, let's turn to Christ. Let's trust him. God became who baby.
that became a baby. Let's worship him together. Amen. Well, as the kingdom kids come to, um, um, uh, to sing another song, why don't we just bow our heads and pray? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your amazing love for us, the love that is sought after us. And we pray that you lift our eyes up to God who became a baby in this Christmas season, the hope of heaven and hope for all of us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.